Listening to the coffee hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're gonna get a little nerdy, I think, today. I oh wait, mean, that's like we... every day, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> We're always nerdy. It's super fun. <laughs> but this is a different this is a different level. This isn't like hymns or bikes or our, our usual We're nerd venturing factor. in a territory we've never gone before. We've yes. done some sci-fi before. But... A little bit, yeah. Yes. We've done Star Wars. Okay. You're trying to give it away, aren't you? I almost did. Thanks to Concordia <laughs> University, Wisconsin, for supporting the coffee hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Doug Gribnaw. He is pastor of Grace Evangelical Lutheran Church in El Centro, California, and a self-proclaimed Trekkie. Pastor Gribnaw, thank you so much for joining us on the coffee hour today. Well, it's my pleasure to come. And I wanted to mention that we're going to go where no one has gone before. Oh, boy. With our sci-fi. Yes. <laughs> it's true. Sci-fi. Does it have a place in the life of <laughs> Apparently, <Christians>? yes. <laughs> Apparently. All right. So, so Pastor Gribnaw, what makes sci-fi intriguing or interesting for you? What is it that, that, that got you hooked? Well, you know, I, I, I remember sitting in uh, my parents' house reading comic books when I was a little boy. And on the back cover, there was this strange picture with uh, rainbow colors up and down and a weird saucer-looking thing and a man with pointed ears. And I remember this image, and I remember wondering what it was. And it was an advertisement for Star Trek The Motion Picture, Whoa! which I think followed me by one year. So I, I was maybe four years old. This was an old comic book. But I remember that vision and, and just the wonder. And I think that actually captures what science fiction is. It is a manifestation of our wonder, our wonder and our intrigue with the created world, which you know is, is just a manifestation of, of God's expressed will. You know, as he speaks and continues to speak, upholding all things. And so it's studying and wondering mm -hmm. Is, is really, in a degree, a, a, a sort of pondering on the works of God. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, too, it's also a wonderful way for us to exercise uh, that God-given ability of imagination, of creativity. I mean, you, you and I, we, we walk into a room and we say, let there be light, and nothing happens. Our, our creativity <laughs> Now you have to say, factual. Alexa, turn on the lights. Exactly. <laughs> Even I need to go and ask for help. And most of the time, Alexa treats me, I think, like, like probably a, a teenage girl. She hears me, but she does not do what I say. So then I, I use my, my, my pastor voice, you know, Alexa, turn on the lights. You know, and she finally does. But, but no, this ability to create new worlds, to create new realities, to create a what if and a what might be. And, and it's an exercise in, in sort of that wonderful creative ability that, that has echoed into us in our imagination and our wonder and our experience of all that God has made. Uh, so sci-fi can, can actually be a really wonderful expression of our life in the world. I like it. Okay. I like it. You, you, you bought it. All right. So yeah. I, I passed the first hurdle. <laughs> so we introduced you as a Trekkie. That's correct. So what is, is there a specific genre of sci-fi that especially interests you? Well, yes. You see, I, I, I am a purist, uh, <laughs> an, an orthodox Star Trek fan, if you will. No, 
I don't mean to alienate any of my my friends out there in in the, in the greater Star Trek world, but there's the Trekkie is one who is who is has an affinity for the original series. You know, Kirk and Spock and Bones, and Chekhov, McCoy, uh, you know, Nurse Chapel and Uhura. That's the genre that that I really connected with. And so Trekkies, you know, we're we're the original series folks. Now, now Trekkers, you know, that that's sort of next gen DS9 and in truth, this new um, incarnation of Star Trek with Discovery and the Picard series, I'm not sure if that that terminology is going to carry over because this is a radically sort of different Star Trek that I'm, I haven't quite warmed up to being a, a Trekkie and a little bit of a purist, right? <laughs> but but I, I, I work and I struggle with that. But, uh, but I find the real joy in my connection with, with Kirk and Spock and, and McCoy. And uh, Kirk has always been my, my hero ever since a very, very young age. And I've dressed as Captain Kirk for Halloween every year since the, the fifth grade. So That's I, impressive. I, I think this last Halloween was actually the 30th anniversary of me being Captain Kirk for Halloween. That's dedication. <laughs> it is. And it's the, same, it's the same uniform, too. My brother was in high school, and his friend was in a sewing class. She made the, awesome. the Star Trek uniform, and I swam in it for like 10 years. But uh, I still wear that same Captain Kirk uniform tunic to, to every I was, year. I was going to ask that. That's right. Even it's, even when I was on my have, vicarage like, year at, in seminary, in, on my vicarage year, I did with such brazen gusto tell my vicarage supervisor, I said, there's one requirement that is non-negotiable, <laughs> and that is that on Halloween I will wear my Star Trek uniform. Now, I'll wear the clerical underneath it. You can call me a Starfleet chaplain, but I will be wearing... <laughs> My Captain Kirk uniform for Halloween. And and graciously, he acquiesced to this uh, rather brazen demand. (laughs) So it's an unbroken streak. (laughs) So you mentioned that there is a difference between the original series and and the the more recent films and series. What's the difference? Without getting too technical... The thing that I really loved the most, I think, about the original series, uh, as opposed to the later incarnations, is perhaps best said in the way in which the stories are told. The original series is kind of like uh, a single-serving meal. You, you, you open up with the story, and there are there's the good guys, the bad guys, there's the right and the wrong, and at the end of 47, 48 minutes you have a complete story and, and really a, a sort of moral moral play, a morality play that has done and been completed and locked out at, at 48 minutes. And so each and every week, it's, it's a different single-serving encapsulated story. Some of the later stories have long arcs, you know, three or four episode arcs or, or a season-long arc. And quite honestly, you get into the middle of it, you miss the episode from last week, and, and you're a little adrift. And you can kind of figure it out and pick it up. But maybe that's that's a, a reality of our modern age of TiVo, of on-demand, of streaming, of you know sitting down with a pot of coffee and just going through four or five episodes. But you know, back when it was just you had to drive home, you had to plan your week and your day and your activities, and you were going to be in front of that television to watch it because you would miss it. And there was no way of getting back to it. You know, that, that the story had to be sort of self-contained. But I, I like that. I like being able to have a complete uh, meal in my storytelling. 
and and uh, so so that's uh, perhaps also maybe my laziness too. You know, I, li- I like to go you know the beginning. I want to finish it out before I have to go on to something else. <laughs> I feel like a lot of our, this is totally like not really on topic, but I feel like a lot of our entertainment has kind of gone that way. If you watch TV shows from that, oh, from from that the, era, the, yeah, it's, the... it's kind of that same way. And a lot of the, the more recent stuff, not that I'm old enough to know these things, but I feel like a lot of our <laughs> more recent stuff is, is that kind of, it's like a, a six hour movie that's broken down into smaller chunks but you end up watching it all together anyway so it doesn't really matter <laughs> and that's and i think actually one of the most uh, enduring things about the original series is the writing um, because you know, the the sets were not fantastic i mean yes it was the 60s and they were doing the best they could <laughs> so i mean you know best construction this was this was it was really good but you know it was not fantastic <laughs> And there were some corners cut. There were some budget issues. So it's not the special effects that dazzled and wowed and made this an enduring thing. It was the story. It was the writing. Uh, it was what it was speaking to, which was which was speaking to humanity's struggle to to wonder, to discover, and and to and to start to construct a, a better world. Mm-hmm. So, with the. I guess with the advance of special effects and things like that, watching the original series, you have to utilize that suspended disbelief a little more. Is that what you're saying? Yes. It, it's it's more akin to going to a play mm-hmm. than going to an IMAX movie. Mm. I, I think that's a good analogy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just stole Sarah's question after I handed it to it's her. Fine. Sorry. <laughs> Look at that. It's fine. Sarah's turn. You were so excited. I was. <laughs> <laughs> so how can we, how do we bring in this this sci-fi, these moral moral plays, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. How do we approach that as Christians from our Christian worldview and kind of glean the things that are, are good for us to understand? You know, you, you, you ask a very good question, which actually we could phrase it differently, I think. You know, what does this mean, right? That's, yes. that's a good way of, of asking these a questions. Good that sounds familiar. Yeah, where did I hear that before? <laughs> uh, no, there, there is a, the ethos of the original series had sort of a priori, you know, this assumed principle that man is inherently good. Mm. And as, as a Christian, from the biblical perspective, is man inherently good? No, no, no. We're all shaking our heads, right? No. <laughs> you drive on a highway for, for 20 minutes anywhere in the whole world, and I'm sure you'll understand that man is not inherently good. Or a parking lot. Or a parking lot. <laughs> or, or honestly walking across the street half the time. Or just sitting with yourself for 10 minutes. You'll discover <laughs> that man is not inherently good. So there is a sort of disconnect then with with the biblical worldview and then what Star Trek has sort of proposed a priori, you know, this understanding that man is inherently good. And, and so I, I would say perhaps that for the Christian, you know, get your entertainment from, from books and from movies and from television shows. Get your entertainment from, from plays and from uh, sporting events. Get your theology uh, from the Word of God <laughs> and from your pastor. I mean, from, from the, the place where his word is spoken, where we are sort of conformed into the image of Christ and not formed by the world. Now, the, the ethos of Star Trek, of striving for, for something better, of, of striving to, to promote fairness and kindness and, and, and understanding, these are, these are laudable and good sort of first world goals. And so it is not that man is so 
horribly and, and, and terribly corrupt uh, that we can never strive for these things. You know, even, even the wicked know to give their children bread. Mm-hmm. But uh, perhaps actually framed in the biblical perspective that our works are pleasing when done in the Lord uh, can actually add a, a layer of, of understanding and, in fact, a clarity to what Star Trek is proposing that, that helps to further and connect us in a way that, that we can speak to the world in a way that the world can understand and, and, start, to, uh, and start to grasp the wonder, the, the miracle, and the beauty of what God has done in Christ Jesus for us. We're getting nerdy talking Star Trek <laughs> with Pastor Doug Gribbenel from Grace Evangelical Lutheran Church in El Centro, California. We have more to talk about with this Trekkie here in studio. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're talking with Pastor Doug Gribbenaugh, pastor of Grace Evangelical Lutheran Church in El Centro, California, and talking about the 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 joys and, and wonder and the, the value of, of entertainment and fiction, and particularly zeroing in on Pastor Doug's favorite Star Trek, the original series. <laughs> the original series. The original series today. <laughs> it, it, being fiction, science fiction, it's my understanding there's, and I, I've seen some of the original series and some of the, the newer as well, but I can't say I, I'm not a Trekkie by any means. I haven't watched it enough to, to be a dedicated Trekkie, but there's allegory in, especially in the original series. What is the place of allegory in fiction and particularly in this case, science fiction? What, why allegory and how can it be? Well, I'll just leave it at that. Why allegory? That is, that is a good question for the ages, because allegory is the way that, that humanity has, has struggled with and wrestled with ideas and concepts and realities beyond our understanding, that perhaps are even beyond our, our, our ability to grasp with any firmness and make them an approachable, relatable concept. So allegory has been part of human storytelling for, well, probably the entire history that we've been on, on God's green earth. But allegory within science fiction especially is a way of taking the struggles of the day of perhaps Star Trek, the original series, was, was very much focused on, 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 on combating racism and seeing the worth in, in each and every human person and the ability of each person to, to serve and contribute and work together and so the allegory was then, well, let's take this out of the archetype that we live in, of 
uh, people of African descent, people of European descent, people of Russian descent, or or from the Asian countries, and 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 let's put that then in this archetype of people from Romulus, the Romulan star empire, you know, people from Konos, you know, the Klingons, all the, and the Gorn, right, the lizard who battles Captain Kirk and hisses into his microphone, right? <laughs> A wonderful special effect, uh, and I say that with tongue in cheek. But to, to put these in, in, a, in, a, in an other place, where that baggage of experience that we carry with us each and every day, with our own assumptions that we don't necessarily recognize, are, are sort of shed and stripped away. And we approach this in a new world, and we, and we see it with fresh and clean eyes. So allegory lets us then struggle and grasp with things, possibly without even realizing it until, you know, the, the single-serving story of Star Trek, that at, the, at the morality end there, you go, oh, oh, that was, and that's related to me in my life. And there's this realization. Pastors use this very often in, in our homiletics, you know, with what we call inductive servants, where, you know, we, we have this sort of end goal, and we kind of use allegory to, to walk you through the gospel lesson, and then at the end you go, oh, well, that's what Jesus was saying. Well, that's what he said at the beginning, too, but, but now I'm, I'm with him, and now I, I can see this. So allegory is a wonderful way of taking a concept that's perhaps beyond what we, what we would see or what we might even accept, because it's so countered to what we, what we assume to be true, and guides us through to the end where we can see it with fresh eyes and in the sense of, of perhaps a Christian's worldview, you know, with the homily that your pastor is preaching, with that allegory walking you through, then, then leads you to repent of what you would never have even recognized as your own sin at the beginning. Do you ever use these illustrations in your sermons? <laughs> I have been known to assault my congregation with some Star Trek and we have them on the facts. line right now. Ah, yes, there we go. <laughs> Just kidding. And, and, and to his credit, one of one of my congregants is a big Star Wars fan, mm-hmm. so I, I'm conversant with both, and I and I, I make some good jokes there, so I, I I can relate outside of the original series. But but no, I, I have been known to assault them with some science fiction, and and they're very gracious to bear with me and, and roll their eyes quietly. <laughs> well, that brings up a good point. You know, being a self-proclaimed Trekkie, does that, I don't know, is there stigma with that? Well, I think there is, in the sense that there's a stigma, there's probably more of a self-assigned stigma amongst the sci-fi nerds and the geeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there is a certain identity that we assume, especially when you when you go to a convention, and and I of course have been to several Star Trek conventions. <laughs> nice. I've dragged my wife to them as well, and she's been gracious enough to to wear uh, a, a Halloween costume uniform with me as we and all the people gathered at the the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas broke the Guinness Book of World Records for the most number of people in one room at any one time in proper and you know, authentic Star Trek regalia. That is amazing. We, and I have the little ticket from from the Guinness Records with you know, my participation number. But but when we go to these conventions, you know, you dress up on the outside, but you also sort of dress up on the inside because you you assume this persona of of you know the sci-fi geek, and and with it we we sort of have this self-assigned oh well we're we're the other we're ostracized from the rest of the world and and, and that's not necessarily true, but we do these sort of stigmas with ourselves in all sorts of ways. And when we walk into church, you know, when you walk into the and you sit down in the pew. 
there's maybe a little persona that you put on for your brothers and sisters, maybe not even knowing it. Or when you walk into work, there's a certain persona you put on that, and that may not be you know, authentically who you are, but also may not be authentically what others really perceive you as, but it's, it's a perception you put on yourself. So I think it's, it's good for us to recognize these, these roles that we sometimes put ourselves in. And also to remember that, that, that God sees through these, these little facades that we put together. And, and I'd argue, not, not doctrinally speaking, but I'd argue that God's a Trekkie on, on some level. <laughs> so we could have another show about that, maybe bring in a Star Wars fan. Yeah. He could search his feelings, and I would, you know, I, I, I'd look to a more reasoned argument, right? We have one of those. I know. Right? <laughs> and just for the, uh, the unaware, searching your feelings is what the Jedi talk about in Star Wars. So that, that was a little joke for, for, for you know, the Star Wars fans. <laughs> you... You mentioned this, I spoke about this a little bit earlier when we were talking about allegory, but the the writer of the, the series, the original series, Gene Roddenberry, is that That's right? That's correct, Gene Roddenberry. What do you think was his intended message? Every story has a, a message to some extent. What do you think was his intended message when writing Star Trek? Again, I, I sort of go back to that, that idea that humanity is is inherently good that we can strive to be better, and that we will, in time, sort of develop a, a, a utopia of sorts. And, and, and a laudable and a, and, a, and, a, and a wonderful goal, we know not achievable until the second coming of Christ. But, but I think that was really what it was. He wanted to show the, the American people, and he wanted to tell people, you're, you're better than this. You're better than this anger, that this, better than this division. You know, or you can be, and there's a way for us to reach beyond what what we put up as our blockades of me versus you, of us versus them, to say we together, and and that's and that actually is, I think, unknowingly perhaps, really part of the message of what Christ comes to bring. You know, the brotherhood of all peoples. We are the sheep in the fold, and the sheep of a different flock, Jew or Gentile, you know, slave or or, or master or Greek uh, or Jew, we are, we are God's creation and the wonderful pinnacle of God's creative work. And that's, and that's a unifying reality that, that, that we can strive towards with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so I think Gene's vision was for a realization of that. But I, I wouldn't necessarily uh, say that he was going from the, the Christian theological worldview perspective, but he was touching on a deeper reality that we can give voice to with Holy Scripture. How common is that in culture to have to want to have that that portrayal of our humanity as being inherently good instead of what we see from our Christian worldview <laughs> as being not inherently good? <laughs> you know, I, I I think that is absolutely inherent. It's part of our original sin. I'm not actually that bad. You know, I, my, one of my favorite hymns, and, and it's an alternate stanza, is, you know, Chief of sinners though I be, there are some here worse than me. Right? I mean, that's what we want to sing when we sit there singing that hymn. But it's um, not in the hymn book. It's, it's not, not in the hymn. That, that's the variata, right? That's the variata <laughs> of what the sinful Adam wants to always say. Be like, yes, God, I know I'm a sinner, but but really, you know, if you're if you're prioritizing things, go talk to that guy over there. He, he wow, he is. I'm I'm by comparison, I'm really good. And that's that's what humanity's always trying to say. Well, I'm actually really not that bad. 
I'm not as bad as my as I <laughs> as I feel when sin weighs upon me, when my bones are breaking as I'm wasting away. You know, it's not that bad. And so it's it's there is I think it's it's part of that original sin to want to say, well, we're not that bad. We're actually pretty good. In fact, we're not just pretty good. We really are. We are excellent, and we sort of fool ourselves into this. We talk ourselves into it. It's 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 a a reality of especially of little kids. You know, <laughs> I have a five year old and an almost two year old now. He's he's weeks away now, and and I have to say that having children, I believe, has made me a better pastor. Simply because I I have a, a window into into God's view of us naughty little children. And I don't think we've ever really gotten out of our toddlerhood. We're always trying to self-justify. We're always trying to shift the blame. We're always trying to put those big, innocent eyes on and say, who, me? Right? And, and so you know, this, this desire for us to, to self-justify and say, well, we're actually pretty good. We want to strive for these things. Is, you know, best construction, best construction, this desire to, 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 to strive for that better, is, is really just a reflection of our desire to get back to the garden, which in and of itself isn't, isn't really the goal because you know, the, the, the desire we have in Christ is to come to that new heaven and new earth. The garden was nice, guys, but there's something even better coming. Well, I think we, we played that arrangement of that hymn only once a year here at KFUO. <laughs> On April 1st, is that right? <laughs> Our guest today, Pastor Doug Grimenau, Grace Evangelical Lutheran Church, El Centro, California. Thanks so much for digging into this fun topic of science fiction with us today. It was my pleasure. Anytime. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golsa. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere.